Alright, 2 Timothy 2, 2. Great place to start. Tonight, uh, I'm going to do the other half of a lesson that I started in the summer. The leaders got to uh, hear the lesson on campaigners. This is going to be about uh, our DNA and what we do. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Um, who wants to read that verse for me? I got it. All right, thank you. Just two? Just two. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, 2 Timothy 2.2, if you don't have that verse memorized, you need to memorize it. If there is a verse that uh, I think encapsulates the DNA of a young life leader in northern Kentucky, I hope and would pray that this would be a verse that would do that. And when I say encapsulate, I mean encapsulate our mission and what we're about and how we're going to do it. On your paper, there's a couple of quotes from the book you're about to read. Um, there's a reason we're reading this book because it has to do with helping us to make sure that we stay grounded in doing what we do and how we do it. And this book that you're going to read is perfect for that. The quote is this, Jesus came to save the world, and to that end he died, but on his way to the cross, he concentrated his life on making a few disciples. These men were taught to do the same until through the process of reproduction, the gospel of the kingdom would reach the ends of the earth. The way God's Son lived thus became a pattern to all who follow in His steps. Now understand the substantial thing that He's saying. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're up in heaven, they're chatting away. They're like, okay, we got it. We got to do something. We got we get to come up with a plan. And their plan was for Jesus to come to earth and spend if you read the book, you're going to find out that he spends 90% of his time with a small number of men and women in a very not influential place in the world. Jesus, God himself, comes to earth to save the world, but yet just spends time doing that. Think about that for a second. Could God have done it some other way? Could God have done a giant billboard on the moon that all of us could read from Earth? Yes. Could God have done it in some way so that the whole world would hear about Jesus, would see who he is, would, would understand why Jesus was coming and what God was going to do to save the world? Yes. God could have done it in many ways. God chose this way to do it. And what the book is basically saying, what Robert Coleman is saying basically is, that's the guide, the plan laid out for us. See, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, they're thinking about how are we going to change the entire world for all of history? You, you and your leader team are sitting around just talking about how are we going to change Scott High School for history? 
for, and, and help the kids. How are we going to help those 1,300 kids? Somewhere around there, right? How are we going to do that? Do you see the same? Do you see the similarities? So the answer is not, oh, I know. Let's get all 1,300 kids in the gym and find something fun to do and then tell them all the gospel or have a giant billboard in the school that makes sure they all see the truth like the billboard on the moon. That, that's not what we do. That's not the plan laid out for us. So think about the hugeness of that. Jesus, God, they're saving the world for eternity. And he came and spent time basically with 17 people. 90% of his time, 17 people. 12 men, about four or five women, spent all his time with them. Three years with them. And then he's over and he's gone. I mean, can you imagine the devil watching that strategy play out and laughing <laughs> they're fishermen they're not even like influential people they're prostitutes they're tax collectors they're they're losers in the world man god is so stupid i can't believe what he did he comes to earth and all he does is spend all his time with bunch of with with 12 15, 17 people and that's going to that's going to change the world forever that's going to cause the entire world to hear the gospel at every end of the earth. Well, God knew something, obviously, the devil didn't, right? God knew what he was doing. There was a plan there, strategy. The entire book that you're going to read basically is how did Jesus do it? Let's do it that way. That's all that book, that's all the book is that you're going to read. How did Jesus do it? How did God do it? Let's do it that way. Let's look at what he did, his strategies. Let's do it that way. That's why 2 Timothy 2.2 is such a big deal. I first encountered 2 Timothy 2.2 when I was in college. Um, I had been a Young Life leader for three years. Um, and I started going to a Bible study on campus at the University of Cincinnati with the Navigators and an entirely new world was open to me about this what I knew of ministry in my first three years of being a Young Life leader was get as many people to club as I can no matter how I could get them there whatever it took and we were going to get as many people to club as we could, fill the room, tell them about Jesus, and then we're going to try to fill our camp trip. And we did. Me and my best friend, Steve Gardner, roommate, Steve's on Young Life staff now in Carolinas, and we led together Indian Hill High School, 325 kids in the school. Okay, We had 150 kids coming to club. We took 125 kids to camp of 320. Like, we were crazy hanging out with kids, getting them all there, getting them to stuff. I'm embarrassed to think of the fruit that has come from that ministry. Because we didn't do this. 
All we did was try to get a lot of people to come to stuff. All we did was try to make a big show. We were trying to make a, bill, a giant billboard that everyone would see. We had never thought through how God did it. Let's do it that way. The, uh, it's, this is really important, okay? And here's why. You are not the Holy Spirit. We're not the Holy Spirit. We don't know what God is doing in students' lives for sure. Right? We see students respond to the gospel. We see things happen. We see them, lives change. They make good decisions, different decisions. But we don't truly know the depth and really what's happening. How many of you have ever known a student or someone to respond to the gospel and five years later, there is no sign of it, they have no interest in Jesus and they are not a Christian? Have anybody ever seen that before? Yes, of course you've seen that before. At the time, you thought God was doing something. We, don't, we just don't know. In 1 Corinthians 3, it tells us that at the end, everyone's work that was not of Christ is going to be burned up in fire. So St- Steve and I, we might have got half the school to show up for a club, but that doesn't, it's going to get burned up in fire in the end if it was not something that God was doing. So the goal, this is the important thing, because often, and I run into this in Young Life all the time, so I, you know, I get to speak at a lot of Young Life things, a lot of staff will ask me to come, so I go to these different cities and I talk to them, and one of the things that I have to start off with, because they're constantly in this mode of, well, tell me, Rick, how to get, you took 500 kids to camp, how do you do that? Give me the five things that you do to get that many kids to go to camp. And I'm like, that you're totally not thinking, you know, don't understand. The fact that you want five things, you're not, it's not, that's not what we do. We don't look for five things. We, that's, that's not how you do it. People get caught up in, tell me the best way to reach more people, to do it better. And churches are really getting guilty of this. Constantly thinking like, we got to find new, cool, hip ways to get more people to hear, get more people to come, get more people to hear, to be reached. Like, constantly doing that. When what we should be concentrating on is how, this is, the, this is what you want to be concentrating on, how closely can you mimic what Jesus and the Bible teaches about ministry? You want to be as so close to that and, and mimic what you see in Christ and what the Bible teaches as you possibly can because that's the only way. That is the only way for you to know that it won't be burned up by fire. Do you get what I'm saying? You might be able to convince a thousand kids to show up at something. But who knows if that's really God doing something. What All you can do is not try to find better ways. You can try to find ways that are closer to the ways of Jesus ways that are closer to the ways of scripture to reach people and that's a total paradigm shift for like staff for people in my job because all they're thinking about is I just want to know ways to reach more people you're telling me I shouldn't do that I should look at the Bible look at Jesus and just try to get as close to the way he did it as I can yes that's what I'm saying (laughs) and I say and it doesn't matter if 500 kids show up in your camp trip or 50 show up on your camp trip. You can't, that's not what you're worried about because what you care about 
is in the end that God is really doing something in the lives of people. That it's real work. That it's really the Holy Spirit. And that God actually does something and it's not burned up by fire in the end. So, something very near and dear to our hearts in this area is the emphasis that we're always going to put on 2 Timothy 2.2, which is the, uh, the best scripture I know that encapsulates the way that Jesus did it. Entrusting to reliable men who are also qualified to teach others. There's a generational thing, a discipleship thing that's happening. The next verse. This will require more concentration of time and talents on fewer people in the church while not neglecting the passion for the world. Some might object to this principle when practiced by the Christian worker on the ground that favoritism is shown toward a select group in the church. But be that as it may, it is still the way that Jesus concentrated his life, and it is necessary. So the first thing you're going to run into, if, you, if you're following me at all, and you're catching the, 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 the picture of the way that Jesus did it, suddenly you're realizing that Jesus spent 90% of his time with a few amount of people. Oh, okay, so if you're going to do that, there are going to be some people, even in our ministries, that's not going to go over well. And that's what Robert Coleman's here saying. He's saying, look, people start doing this in the church, there's going to be people in the church who are going to be like, he has favorites. He's showing favorites. I know James says, James 2 said, don't not have favorites, you know, because there's a verse in James 2 that says not to show favoritism. But that's a different kind of favoritism in James 2. That's a favoritism that you would show preference to people based on their worldly things and be giving them special privileges because of it. This is modeled in Christ. And that's what he says. He says, be that as it may, here's, here's the, the, the line, Jesus had favorites. If you didn't know that, it's super, super clear that Jesus had favorites. If you look in the scriptures, every time the disciples are listed, they're listed in the same groups of four in order. The first four, the second four, and the last four are always the same every time they're listed. And the reason is, is because in that day, you listed the people closer to the rabbi first. So the first four are the people. And in addition to that, here are some quick examples with Jesus, right? First, just the calling of the twelve. Okay, so just so you guys know, there were a hundred men who followed Jesus around during the whole time that he was doing ministry. Did you guys know that? And we find that on Acts when they when they took got someone to replace Judas, and then one of the requirements was we need someone who's been with us the whole time. Oh, right. And then you realize through some other scripture there are about a hundred people that were with Jesus, not just the twelve that were kind of following him most of the time. So, I was watching this. I, I know I've brought this up to older leaders before, but it's such a great example. I, there was a time in my life where I was watching uh, some Jesus movies. I don't know, just like old ones. I just was thinking it was just fun. And I was like liking the perspectives that they were giving, you know, but whatever. So I'm watching this old, really awkward Jesus movie because almost all of them are super awkward, right? You know, <laughs> and it's like... Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You know, I wouldn't follow you anywhere. But uh. but that's you know awkward movies, right? But there's this great scene in this movie 
And I'm watching this movie, and I'm watching it play out. I'm, and basically, it's about a hundred people sitting around Jesus on the side of this mountain. And he starts going like this. He goes, Matthew. Matthew stands up and is like, yes. Comes up to John. You know, John stands up, comes up to James. You know, and he literally calls each of the twelve, and each of them stands up like excited, like I'm being asked to be one of the twelve disciples. Now imagine the other 88 people. Because they were just sitting there going, Wait, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang it. Is he going to do another one? Oh, he's done? Crap. I don't get to be one of the 12. Sounds like favorites to me. Jesus was super clear about it. You are the 12. Anyone who's not the twelve is not one of the twelve. He gave them special privileges, special opportunities to be near him. Throughout scripture, you see it constantly playing out. They're the ones collecting the baskets. They're the ones doing all the things when Jesus, they're his guys. Right? Girls, they're his girls. That's what it was. And he literally called them out by name even though there were many others who would have loved to have been that. It gets even worse, though, with Jesus. Okay? Because we see in the scriptures that the four, the three or four that were closest to Jesus, they got a lot of special attention. So it wasn't just 12. There actually was three or four. Okay, does anybody know who they are? James, John, Peter, Peter's brother, Andrew, right? Those are the four. Okay? Imagine the scene playing out. And it's played out several times. You're one of the 12. You're like, yeah, I'm totally in. I'm with Jesus. Look at all those losers back there. Right? They don't get to hang out with Jesus like I do. I'm one of his favorites hanging out. And you're sitting there, and Jesus is like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go in. i got to help this woman, this thing in here. And you all start to get up, and he's like, no, everybody sit down. Uh, James, John, Andrew, Peter, you guys come with me. And you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> and away they go. <laughs> hey, you guys, that's what he did. The burning bush, the healing of the girl. There are many, there are several stories where Jesus literally said, you three, you four, come with me. And you know, by implication, what that means is, you eight, stay. I mean, can you imagine? I'm sure Matthew was like, can I? What in? No, sorry, Matthew, not this time. <laughs> I know I love you, but sorry, dude. <laughs> I hope you guys are catching the picture of this because, again, if Jesus did it this way, this is what's going to happen with us. Okay? For 25 years of my time doing ministry, I've been accused of having favorites. And when people accuse me, I say, it's true. <laughs> right? I mean, Clint, you... <laughs> right? So... <laughs> but, you guys, catch this. It's important, okay? You've got to get over the hump of understanding, okay? 
your love for this few, your ability to minister deeply to a few, will change the world in a far grander way than if you are spreading yourself out amongst a hundred or twelve or whatever it is. That's what Jesus knew what he was doing. Right? I don't have to... You guys all know the multiplication, power multiplication thing? You guys heard that? Okay. Do you want a penny for a day? And then two pennies the next day? Four the next and do that for a month? Or would you rather have $10,000 every day for a month? You know, you do that with kids. They're always like... That's like three hundred ten thousand dollars. I'll take the three hundred three hundred grand, man. That's awesome. You got a penny first day, two pennies the next. The problem is then you know, you tell the kids, oh, it's too bad because on the last day you would have got three million. Some there's some number. It's like in the millions that they would have got on the thirty first day. That's just multiplication. That is the principle at work in Jesus that we see in the scriptures. The power of multiplication at work. I have one or two guys, and those two guys, they got one or two guys. And those two, four or five guys, they're going to have two, two, three guys each themselves. And as life goes on, man, the world gets changed. My accountability partner and the navigator guy who introduced me to some of this kind of stuff, he's constantly... Uh, introducing his ministry at the beginning of the year by talking about his prayer, which is because of my life, and he'll take them to the UC Nippert Stadium and say, I want every seat in this stadium to be filled with someone who was affected down the line from my life. So when I get to heaven, this my prayers, this stadium would be full. 35,000, whatever it is. And he's just trying to give an illustration. And then he gives them a picture of, you can have the same prayer for your life. Because of the power of multiplication, a stadium full of people, lives can be changed. If you're willing to give yourself to the ministry the way that Jesus did, it's not always easy. Oh, man. All right. Next quote. If all seven of these men, Peter, Andrew, James, John, two, were professional fishermen... They are most likely friends and close co-workers a long time before they followed Christ. This shows what a close-knit group of the apostles were, with at least half of the group, including the core members, having come from one small region, most likely engaged in the same occupation, and probably having known and befriended each other long before they became disciples. So in this, here's what I want to talk about. Two things. One, I'm going to give you guys next a bunch of bullet point important things when it comes to discipleship work with your students. Before that though, there's something we have to talk about that's in this here. Choosing people to invest in. How do you choose the people that God wants you to invest in? How do you choose the students that God wants you to invest in? How did Jesus choose the students that that he was going to invest in? The people that he was going to one of the first things that this that I will say, so so if you want to make a list, I'm going to give you a couple bullet points on ways to, what, how do you pick those people? Okay? The first thing is in this quote from John MacArthur, which is incredibly insightful into who the disciples were, where we learn that probably as many as seven of the disciples 
out of 12 were close friends or family long before Jesus got there. As much as people try to paint a picture that Jesus took 12 men from 12 different walks of life who had no idea who each other were and were like, Matthew, meet Peter, and now you're going to become best friends for life. Like, that's not what happened, actually. When Jesus came along, the core, and all of the core group, remember the four I mentioned that are at the core? All of the core group was a part of this group. It's thought that Peter, Andrew, who are brothers, James and John, who are brothers, fishermen on the same lake, it is thought that they were best friends since birth. That's how long the main four have known each other. So the first thing when you're choosing, it's vital that you are prayerfully watching to see what God has already done before you got there. So many times we, we just take the first person who walks through the door or whatever it might be and, that, and God wants you to watch. To be prayerfully watched. And I would say looking for what relationships has God built. Some of the best guys that I've ever got to spend time with and dive deeply into life with, they were friends long before I got to them. And I see their friendships playing out, and they're good friendships. Even though they don't know Jesus, I'm watching them as freshmen in high school, and I'm like, those guys, they, they have genuine friendship with each other. And I'm seeing in them that God has been working long before I got there. Another misunderstanding with Jesus and his calling of the disciples, so often we like, it gets painted that there is this picture of Jesus just walking up and Peter being like, oh, who are you? Uh, I'm Jesus. Oh, hi, Jesus. Uh, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. Right? Not true. Jesus, ready? He was doing ministry for three years. For a year to up to a year and a half, he was watching and spending time with the disciples. He did not call them to follow him until halfway through those that year and a half. It was not the first time they met him. All these guys, what would happen is Jesus would go to the wedding. Jesus was around and they would all be like, hey, that Jesus guy is back. Let's all go hang out and watch him. Let's go talk to him again. And they'd all put down their neck and be like, yeah, let's go talk to him again. That wasn't the, the When Jesus said that to Peter, that was not the first time that Peter had ever met him. It wasn't. He'd already heard Jesus preach a bunch of times. He'd already seen Jesus do miracles. He already knew, I think I might want to follow this guy. So in the same sense, we're watching. We're looking. So when I grew up in the Navigators, or not grew up, so I was young life, I introduced to the Navigators, and so a lot of these principles were became really dear to me. And in the Navigator organization, the um, there is a constant question that is asked of the people within the organization that I hope is always a constant question that we ask to. Who's your man? Who's your woman? Who is it? You should, if you don't have one, you should be 
prayerfully, diligently looking and trying to find one. That's what we do. In this area, I hope your team leaders are constantly, when, I, when I'm running, you know, back when I'm running Royal High School, I'm going around to each leader and I'm saying, tell me about your girls and how's it going. And if I come to a leader who says, I don't have any girls, I'm like, we got to pray. We got to get you some girls. Right? Because who's your woman? That's a big deal. Who's your man? That's a big deal. That's our DNA. That's what this is. We're, so we're, we're constantly, as ministers of the gospel, that's what we're looking for. Who's that person that we're investing in that's going to then invest in others? The things you've heard me say and trust to reliable men who will then teach others. Other things that you're looking for when you're choosing. So in addition to praying and observing, watching, okay, seeing what God has done beforehand, okay, the, the acronym FAT. You're looking for fat kids. It's always fun. FAT. Here's what that stands for. Faithful, available, teachable. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on each of those. There's no way I'm getting this done. Not even. Oh, man. There's so much good stuff. I was going to show you guys a clip from Zora. <laughs> yes! Ooh. Anthony, what's his name? Banderas? Banderas. Yes. Good stuff. You have to come back next week to see the video. Alright, listen. So, fat. You're looking for fat kids. Faithful kids. Available kids. Teachable kids. <laughs> All right, Gavin. Yeah, you knew this. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Faithful, available, teachable. You're looking for those students who come consistently. That's faithfulness. You don't want. When you're saying who's your man, you're like, oh, I think I think Jimmy might be the one for me. And somebody else is like, Jimmy, he doesn't ever come to anything. Yeah, but he's really cool. That's not faithful. I don't care how cool Jimmy is. Right? That doesn't help you. You guys know Jimmy McGillicuddy. He is. He's a cool dude. Right? Faithful. They, they, they are faithful to you. Right? Here's an example. Hey, Jimmy, we should go hang out, man. We should go, like, uh, go to BW3's uh, this week. Would you want to do that? Yeah, it'd be awesome. You know, maybe Wednesday. Give me a call. I might, I'm free Wednesday night, right? And you text Jimmy on Wednesday. Hey, you want no answer. No answer. You never hear back from Jimmy. And then Thursday, he texts you. Oh, sorry, dude, I couldn't do it. You're like, that's not faithful, Right? Faithful is the student, you text him, he's like, yeah, I've been wanting to do this. Let's go to beat ups It'll be awesome. So it's easy stuff like that. Faithful. Available. Too often, we are trying to find the high performer student who is not available. They've got a hundred things that they want to do. Okay? And I've, I've sat with guys when they're sophomores, when I've, I've gone to summer camp and I was talking to them about 
possibly meeting and us having a Bible study, and I'm kind of feeling out whether or not they're going to be some of my guys for the next couple of years. And I'll, I'll talk to them and say, you know, some of the things that you guys are involved in, you might have to put aside. <coughs> you know, that you know that thing that you do that is over there, or that, you know, I remember uh, a girl leader talking to a bunch of girls about, you know, they were crazy into the cheerleading, elite the cheerleading thing. Not cheerleading in school, they love that. But they were like, they were not available because they were always an all-star cheerleading. And I told the girl leader, I said, listen, if they can't, not do that. You're, they're just not going to be available. You're, you're not. You're wasting your time to disciple them, to invest in them. So she told them, "I, you know, I don't know if that if it's going to work." And you know what? They were like, "We don't want to do that anyway. It's been so blah blah whatever," and they quit. Right? <laughs> you get a phone phone call from mom, but you can send that my way later. But uh, the point is, you're looking for students who are available. Not students who are super busy. Last is teachable. When things are taught, they respond. And it's not hard to see. All you got to do is watch in campaigners a little bit. Watch at club. They're the guy, right, who hasn't met the Lord yet, but he comes to club every week, and he's sitting like this, listening to club talk. And then there's other guys that are like, right? Their girls are the same way. Some girls are all, right? Campaigners, it's easy, right? They got a notebook. All girls were born with notebooks. I don't know where you get them. (laughs) (laughs) You become a Christian, and like somebody gives you one. I don't know who does it yet. Somebody gives you one. Right? But they're the girls at campaigners with their notebooks, and they're like, you know, writing down what the campaigner leader is saying. Right? It's not hard to see teachableness. Okay? Now here's the thing. You guys, it, these are important. Don't gloss over these. Okay? I could go through, and I don't have time, but I go through all the examples of how the disciples showed how fat they were to Jesus. Right? And they were. They were crazy fat, okay? (laughs) So, like, when I used to teach this, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, P-H-A-T was a big word. So everybody got really confused then. They were like, yeah, fat, all right. (laughs) Tells you how old I am. Whole generations ago. It's true. No, I know. I'm not. All right. So, you guys, uh, the choosing thing, right? How you're going to pick the students out? It's it's huge, right? It's a big deal. But the bottom line is this: this should be in our DNA. Second Timothy two two. Who's your man? Who's your woman? This should be born into us. Okay? My desire for all of the guys that I've ever hung out with for the last 20 years, and my prayer for them has been Ephesians 3, and my prayer is that 50 years from now, that they are somewhere around the world making disciples and doing the same thing. And that there is, beyond a stadium full of people that have come from their lives, 
alone because of their investment in a few and their investment in others. Because we're because I'm I this is another thing we can get to later, but you teach it, right? You you teach your students, hey, the things you heard me say to you, you're gonna entrust to reliable people who can also teach others. You see how how three generations were just represented there? You, the things that you're hearing me say, you're gonna teach to so and so who then can teach to others. Right? Your goal, our goal in a in a comical sense, is to be spiritual great grandparents. That's your goal. That the guy that I invested in at Connor High School now invests in another guy, wherever he is, who then that guy has another guy. That means that what I taught to the first guy, he got it. The fourth generation, the spiritual grandchild. Hey, and when you meet your spiritual great-grandchildren, it's fun. You will. You give yourself to this. It won't take long. Some leaders in here, I'm sure, already have. But it, it's, it's fun. Because they know. They're like, hey, you're my uh, great-grandfather. <laughs> Dude, that's so fun. That's awesome. And then I can say, I've prayed my whole life for you. Right? Because that's what we do. That's, that's in our DNA. That's, that's what Jesus did. That's what we do. So, investment, 1 Thessalonians 2. There's no way I'm going to shortchange you guys on this stuff. It's so good. Um, let me just do a couple. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. So you just got to turn a couple pages. Right, so 1 Thessalonians 2, a great passage where Paul is describing a ton of his investment in ministry. Okay? The great thing is, is what Jesus did with the disciples, Paul did in his ministry, Timothy did in his ministry. Like you see it like in the, the people, in the disciples, in their ministry. It's just it's so wonderful to see the consistency throughout Scripture. And 1 Thessalonians 2 is one of Paul's times where he's writing back to his guys. He's saying, you know how I did this, you know how I did that. And I loved you like this. Do this, do what I did for you. Do it for others. 1 Thessalonians 2 8, another verse that you, if you're going to be a leader in this area, you've got to know. So being a somebody read the NIV. Got it. Confuse everybody. Thank you. So we care. Do you want me to read like the? It starts with this. Yes. Okay. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. Two eight. Yeah. Two eight starts in the middle. Oh right. Okay. Go ahead. Because, <laughs> because we love you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Yeah. And I'd be. I'm just kidding. Um, so. Listen, we loved you so much that we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. At the core of discipleship, at the core of what we see in Jesus' ministry, is this verse. Jesus loved his disciples so much 
that not only did he share truth with him, but he shared his whole life with him. Right? We end up back. You can go back to John 13 near the end of Jesus' time with them, and he's washing their feet. The great, some great illustration of he loved them so much that he shared his life with them. There's some amazing illustrations of Jesus and the depth of his love for the disciples, and in return, the depth of their love for him. Just turn to, you know, the end of John where uh, uh, Jesus is, you know, on the shore, and Peter. And they realize it's Jesus on the shore and how they respond to Jesus. Right? Peter dives in the water. It's the Lord. Oh, and they dive and they swim and they run to him. I mean, it had become like that in their relationship. The story in Acts where the people of Ephesians are begging and crying, Paul, not to leave them. Don't leave us, Paul. When I've had leaders move to different schools and they say this is getting really hard they're you know they're all crying and they're really upset and I say then that means you did it right that means you were doing it right right because you love them deeply right that's what we do and in this deep obsessive friendship with a vision all these points that I want to, to help give to you guys to help in this ministry. Um, I'll just do a couple of them while I have some time. The first one is to remember that they are not projects, but they, and this is big because, you know, all you guys. Going through leader training, you're gonna get to that first day, you're gonna get that call from that team leader, hey, come be placed at our school. You're like, yes. And you're gonna go, your first campaigners, you're gonna walk in and be like, I'm a leader. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, you guys are lucky to have me now. <laughs> right? Because I'm I we have this fortunate pride thing that happens with all of us where we begin to think how lucky these kids are to have me in their life they're so messed up and I'm just got to help them all you know I got to help them through all this stuff and what ends up happening is we begin to see them as projects okay I just got to change Susie's mind about that thing that boy that's a bad boyfriend working on changing that with her and me and God are praying we're working on it right like we they become this project to us and that is not what we see in the Bible it's not what we see in Thessalonians it's the, clearly not what we see in Jesus life with the disciples these these students these kids they're not going to be kids in your life they're not projects they're not temporary people that you're volunteering some time to help with. They're going to become your best friends. If you're doing it right, they will become some of your best friends. And, I, you know, some of the greatest joys of my life. I mean, I went on a trip with 
a bunch of my old students, Amy and I, where did we go? Somewhere warm and with a beach. I don't even remember where we were. We had a house. What? No, no, not all staff. That was fun too, but. <laughs> but I, it, there's nothing, it, I trying to give you a comparison or help to understand, you know, when I get to spend time with Kevin and Kayla and Amy and I get to be with them, that is not like, oh, time to put on my project hat. Got to work on Kevin and Kayla again. How you guys doing? Tell me about your marriage. I need to fix you. Right? <laughs> right? You okay? <laughs> deep breaths. Deep breaths. Anyway. Right? For Amy and I, we go on vacation with them. Right? You get that? You go on vacation with your projects. Right? Man, I better stop now because you ain't even getting any prize. Got the giggles. Right? Listen, this is a big deal. Because you got to see it like this, you got to understand it like this. Because if you, if you, if this is something that you start doing, okay, it's not going to go over well in your ministry and it's not going to go over well in this area. We are not volunteers that spend check boxes to help fix kids. We're not volunteers to check boxes to help tell kids about Jesus. That's not what we're going to do. You want to go to another Young Life area that does it that way? There are probably many and you can't, but not here. What we do is we invest like this. We invest like Jesus did. And these people, these kids, will be in your wedding. Right? These kids, right, you'll be in their wedding. These kids, you will be a part of their lives as their kids grow up. That's what that's what we do. This is not a temporary thing. This is not a, hey, just gonna be your friend for a little while while you're in high school, tell you about Jesus and then send you on your way. They're not projects. And embrace that and what that means. Because here's what that does mean. You don't have my friends and then my Young Life kids. And too many leaders do that. Saturday night, I'm going to be with my friends. Keep the kids away. You know. They've got to bother me a little bit. But, you know, always asking me for help and things. <laughs> right? Friday night, Sunday night, it's campaigners. I'll talk to them then. Right? But Saturday night, that's for me and my friends. Okay? You guys get what I'm saying? That's not us. Those friends become the kids you're investing in. That's who that becomes. You're going to have friends in leadership. You're going to have friends, okay, other friends on your team, obviously. But you're going to welcome those key students, those main students in to your whole life. And they're going to become a part of your friendships and become a real friend of yours that you would actually just go and hang out at Starbucks with just because you haven't talked to them in a while and you miss them. Right? And 10 years later... You're still going to do the same thing. Because they're a friend. That's what you do. You actually miss them. Want to talk to them. I hope 
all of you who, most of you in this room have experienced young life in this area, I hope you're, you have experienced this with your leader to some extent. That, they, that you know that they love you far, far more than a project. That they truly see you as a friend in their life. And I bet they do. Don't start crying on me. Everybody can look at their leader now and all weepy and all that. Okay, don't start doing that, okay? All the older leaders are like, you know. All right. So. Hey, guys. I'm going to stop, and we're going to come back and do this again. Don't start bringing up papers and throwing things away yet. Hold on. Okay. How awesome is this? Think about this for just just how awesome is this? How awesome that Jesus modeled this, that the scriptures breathe this and speak this. That this is not a life where we are supposed to be some performers for God to convince the world and sell them, be salesmen to the world, that they're supposed to follow Jesus. How awesome is what I've been describing? This is, it's, it's great. It's so amazing to be a part of the greatest thing happening on the earth, the most important thing happening, the, the most incredible, most important thing happening in the world, in your high school, the most important thing happening, you get to be a part of that, and it's this deep, real friendship thing, not this performance thing. All of us can do it. You might be the biggest introvert. This is still what you can... You, we can all do this. We can all love some people deeply. <coughs> a few, right? It's awesome. It's just awesome. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for how awesome this is, Lord. That, that the life that you lived how you came to earth to change the entire world and you did it in this radical, crazy way where the devil would be thinking, what is he doing? Wasting his time with those few people. How amazing, Lord, is it what you did and how you did it? And we're so thankful for the model. Lord, thank you for Paul and Timothy and Barnabas and so many others that, that lived out this way. Thank you, Jesus. That this purpose that we get to be a part of, the, the proclamation of how great you are to the world is not something that we, um, that we have to perform for and be great extroverts and all that kind of stuff. Thank you, Jesus. So much. Father, help us to be people who are courageous in our desire and effort to disciple our young friends. I pray, Lord, that the question, who's your man and who's your woman, would haunt every person in this room for the rest of their life. That they would never, ever forget that question. For the rest of their life, they would be investing deeply in a few wherever they are 50 years from now. 
I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.